Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. That can be found uh, in a pew Bible on page 983. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you're welcome to use one of those. It's also printed, uh, the text that we'll be looking at is printed on page 8 of your order of worship. So we'll be looking at Colossians 2 verses 1 through 5 this morning. We've been talking for a few weeks now about how Christ is truly all that we need. And this is really at the heart of the theme of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And so it's probably not the last time that we'll be talking about that. We often joke that the uh, answer for children to any Sunday school question is Jesus, right? Um, Who died on a cross? Jesus. Who created everything? Jesus. Who brought you to church? Jesus, sort of, maybe. Um, And while that is a a cute thing to think about and to watch kids' minds try and and wrap um, themselves around the wonder of who Jesus is and, and all that he does, I wonder if we often struggle with kind of the opposite problem, maybe as we come into adulthood, especially if we've been a believer for some time. And maybe we drift into thinking that Jesus is really the answer to only one question. And it's a question, something along the lines of how do we stay out of hell or something like that. But um, the reality is we know at church that Jesus is the right thing to say about everything that we're facing in life. It, It all goes back to him But have you found yourself that when we walk out those doors, we don't think of him as the answer to the things that we're facing? And maybe it's it's a well-intentioned thing. It's not because we don't think he's the answer, but maybe we just don't understand how he's the answer or how he matters in the midst of what we're facing. When I see the sufferings of others and the problems in this world, when I feel the deep wrestling within my own heart, I often don't think Jesus is at the center of of what would help me in this. Instead, I often implicitly find myself thinking, there must be something more. There must be something else that addresses this and will make life okay. And, And maybe you feel that pull as well, whether you're a new Christian or you've been a Christian for a long time or you're not even a Christian. But the beauty of what Paul is doing here in this letter to the Colossians is he's saying, no, no, that, that's not how it is. And I want you to look and I want you to see the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he holds him before us like a diamond, showing us facet after facet of who he is so that it can work in our hearts so that less and less we feel that disconnect between who he is for us and what we truly need in the moment. And if we think of what we've seen thus far in Colossians already, we've seen facet after facet, haven't we? He, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He, as God, has made God known to us in the flesh. He's the firstborn, the preeminent one of all creation, and everything has been made through him and is sustained by him in this very moment. And not only is he the firstborn of creation, but he's the firstborn from the dead. 
He is the fountainhead of new creation life that is now ours through faith in him. And then Paul has talked about how he did what to us is almost unthinkable. He has changed our story forever because he has reconciled us to God and written a new biography for those who are in faith in Jesus Christ. And so today we'll just continue to see more and more of those facets. And in particular, what we'll center around this morning is coming to know Christ as the mystery of God and what that produces in our lives. And so let me read our passage, Colossians 2, 1 through 5, and then we'll pray and ask our Lord's help to consider the wonder of it this morning. Colossians 2, starting in verse 1. This is God's very word. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray that he would help us to see and believe it. Our Father in heaven, we come humbly before your word and we realize that it contains things that in many ways are too lofty for us to understand and yet you have spoken to us in and through it and you have spoken to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us to see him more clearly, that you would help us in the midst of our distractions, our hurts, our longings, our pride, that you would come and that you would meet us that you would reassure us of your grace and your goodness and the wonder of the salvation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do this by your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning I want to just make a few comments really by way of introduction and looking at verse 1. And then we'll kind of dive into the outline uh, of three points to consider. So, um, just to give you the lay of the land. Verse 1 is kind of resuming what we talked about a little bit last week. Paul begins by resuming the idea of his struggles. And last week we saw that he's involved in this intense suffering to make the word of God fully known among the Gentiles. And and here he picks that up. And in verse 1 he tells us uh, who he is suffering for and why he is suffering. Notice verse 1 For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul speaks again of his ministry as this great struggle. And it's a struggle because he's facing opponents to the gospel. He's facing persecutions. And here he says he's doing all of this for the Colossians and for the people at a nearby town about 12 miles away, the people of Laodicea. And they're people that Paul has never met. He's never seen them face to face, and yet he's pouring out his life so that the word of God may be fully known among them. Why? Why would he do that? Well, he goes on to explain his purpose of why he struggles for them 
in verse 2, and and this is what we'll be looking at, but verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In typical Pauline way, he piles up phrase upon phrase. I kind of joke to myself in my study that it's pile on Paul. Like, that's just what he does. He just puts phrase after phrase. And we spend all week just trying to untangle these things. But, but really, when we do that, we might even lose the effect of it. But, but hear what he says of these purposes of why he's struggling. There, there are four of them, that their hearts would be encouraged, that they'd be united in love, that they'd understand the riches of this full assurance that's in Christ and the knowledge of God's mystery. And grammatically, so based on the language, and then rhetorically based on his argument, I I think what he's doing here is he's building to a climax in that fourth one. And so we're going to take a look at that. We're going to spend most of the time looking at that. But you see it there at the end of verse 2. And the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So that's going to be our focus, our approach this morning. We're going to focus on this fourth purpose first and, and unpack it, and then we can consider how those first three purposes relate uh, in the protection that they give. And so here's the outline. The first, know the mystery of Christ. Second, know the treasure of Christ. And third, know the protection of Christ. And I'll say those again as we go, but know the mystery, the treasure, and the protection. And so let's begin, first of all, by considering the mystery of Christ. Know the mystery of Christ that we find there in verse 2. Paul struggles, he says, in order that they would know God's mystery. And that phrase there, mystery, is one that I often feel is a mystery. (laughs) I don't know if you feel that way as well. But it's repeated so many times in Scripture, and Paul mentions it multiple times in Colossians. And so it's this significant word that we have to pause and think about. And it has many uses throughout Scripture, so it's important to get our bearings to understand what he's getting at. But the way that it's being used here is what Nate was talking about last week. It, It refers to something that was once hidden, something that was once shadowy, but now has been made known. It's that missing piece, maybe in the center of a puzzle. It's it's that main character in the the movie of the story of God's redemption that, that once it's made known, everything else makes sense. Once it has its piece in the landscape, the rest of it fits together. Now remember, in Paul's day, people were trying all kinds of things to figure out the mystery of what makes sense of life. And really, a lot of things haven't changed since then. But in Paul's day, many were appeasing a a pantheon of gods, making sure they would appeal to the right God to meet the various needs that faced them in life. In Paul's day, many philosophies were coming together and vying for their attention, each of them claiming to have the secret that would make this life, the blessed life, attainable to them. And even Judaism was claiming that that through its traditions and through the Torah, there was a way of blessing in this life. But Paul is making something clear here, right? He flat out tells us what God's mystery is. God's mystery, he says, which is Christ. And when we hear Christ, it's Messiah, right? The center of God's story 
the source of all God's blessing is found in one person, and it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks of very various aspects of this mystery, right? And I think that's what sometimes can confuse me, is it's referring to aspects of the mystery. Last week we heard the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Ephesians, part of the mystery is that Gentiles are now fellow heirs of this salvation, right? And with the mystery, there's this present aspect of it that it, it has already been revealed and Christ has been made known. But also with the mystery, there's a not yet aspect of it too, of this inheritance that is still kept hidden and waiting to be revealed in the last day to us. But all of those things about this mystery are just aspects of the mystery. That at the center of everything, it is Christ. It is the Messiah who is key to God's plan. Everything about God's plan, which was once concealed, has now been revealed, and it runs through him. And so why is this so important? Why do we pause and and talk about mystery like this? Why does Paul suffer and struggle for believers to know this mystery? I think there are really two practical applications of why he's doing that. He wants believers to know the rest of the mystery, the rest that we find in the mystery of Christ. And he also wants believers to know the pursuit of that mystery. When we think about the profound rest that comes to us as believers when we realize that everything about God's story and the source of all of God's blessings are found for us in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, There's a profound rest that comes from that. There's no secret knowledge that any of us has to attain to. There's no cocktail of religion and philosophy that we just need to to mix exactly correctly to make this whole thing work out. In some ways, it's so simple. In Christ, God's plan and all of the glories and benefits of that plan are now found in the Messiah. We can take a deep breath with that, can't we? That if we have come to Jesus, we have come to the very mystery of God. But while there is rest that comes in that, and on the one hand it's so simple, it's also very profound, isn't it? Because that means that everything about God's plan somehow runs in and through the Messiah, and we are called into a lifelong pursuit of knowing him more. There's a sense in which we can never know enough the wonder of the mystery of all that God has brought to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul labors and strives so that we would know this mystery, that that we would see, as the scriptures tell us, that Christ is the center of this whole book, that apart from him, it doesn't make sense and it doesn't hold together so that we would earnestly be searching the scriptures to see the beauty and wonder of our Savior. But pursuing Christ as the mystery doesn't mean that we only read our Bibles either, does it? It actually opens us up to a pursuit that is so much bigger than even just that. Because when we come to see Christ as the center of all of God's plan and the source of all of God's blessing, then as we study other things, like math and science 
literature and health and our bodies. As, as we think about these things, we realize that this whole world was brought into creation and is presently being sustained by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it throws us into wonder and appreciation for the beauty of who he is as he has brought these things together. We see that even with all creatures of our God and King. We're singing about things like fire and wind. How spiritual is that? But do you see what it's doing? It's saying, but it all comes from God's mystery, which is Christ. And so in everything that we pursue, we can see this beauty and this appreciation for a world that was brought together by him. And so there's good that we can see. There's beauty that we can appreciate. And as we understand Christ as God's mystery, it also helps us make sense of something, doesn't it? It helps us see what is lacking in all of these things that we see, too. If you take Jesus out, all of these good gifts of God, they will be incomplete and we will turn to distortions of them, won't we, apart from Christ? And we find ourselves saying, what is it about these songs that they're longing for, but that's only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ? What is it about this, this beauty that is being put on display that's, that's signaling to us something more, something beyond that can only be realized in the wonder of when the fullness of all that God has given us in Christ will be fully put on display? And so Paul calls us to pursue Christ as this mystery of God so that we both rest and only look to him but then also that we see him as the center of everything that we know and see both in Scripture and beyond. And so Paul is struggling that they would know God's mystery, the centrality of Christ. But then he goes on to say that there's something that he wants them to know in specific about Christ. And and that brings us to our second point. The first is know the mystery of Christ, but then secondly, know the treasure of Christ. Of Christ. And we find that in verse 3. He says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul uses this wonderful picture of hidden treasure. And when he says that it's hidden, he means that the treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge, they're deposited somewhere. They've been placed somewhere. It's all found in one place. And he really emphasizes the all of it, right? He says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And that location of where these treasures are, it has to be revealed. You have to be told where it is so that you can find or access it. When I hear this, I think of the movie Aladdin, whether it's the cartoon version that I grew up on or it's the new version that all the young people are talking about. I don't know if they're talking about it or not, but anyhow, Aladdin. And in the story of Aladdin, he is able to enter the cave of wonders, right? And in a picture that I just can't get out of my mind is he enters the cave of wonders and it seems like all the treasure of the world is found in that cave. Everywhere you look from floor to ceiling is gold and jewels and and treasure But what is the tension with stories like Aladdin? It is, where is this treasure and who can obtain this treasure? 
For Aladdin, all the wealth of his treasure is found in the cave of wonders and then the lamp that is in the cave, but only one person can have access to it, right? The diamond in the rough. It's the only one that can enter the beauty of this treasure trove. But you see, what Paul wants them to know is to have an image like that in our minds, but to realize that all of God's treasure is found in one place. God has revealed where it is. And it's not in pagan religions or philosophies. It's in Jesus. And who has access to all of this treasure? The elite, the powerful, the poor, the spiritual. It's all who are in Christ. They all have access to this treasure always through him. Isn't that amazing? And then he goes on to say, what kind of treasure is found in the Messiah? And it says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, when you hear the words wisdom and knowledge, what pops into your mind? I tend to think of a brain full of data. In fact, I kind of amuse myself by thinking of this giant head on a teeny little body that's just kind of going around with all this wisdom and knowledge in its head. It's something that would make you really good at jeopardy, right? Is how we often think of it. But biblical wisdom and knowledge are so much more than just facts we can talk about on a game show. Knowledge, according to the Bible, isn't just a list of facts that we study for a test. Knowledge speaks of comprehensive understanding of how things really are. Knowledge speaks of a perspective that ultimately comes from God who knows all and is making it known. So that's knowledge, this this understanding of how things really are. And then biblically, wisdom is the internalizing of all of that knowledge and understanding of how everything works to the point that you're able to successfully live life in a way that's honoring to God, isn't it? Wisdom is the taking of that and applying it to the complexities of this world that we find ourselves in. And so wisdom and knowledge aren't about winning some trivia game, but wisdom and knowledge according to the Bible are really about a blessed life. Have you ever found when you're reading your Old Testament, you can get uncomfortable, especially when you're in the book of Proverbs, when it talks about wisdom because of the lofty promises that the scriptures offer about having wisdom. If you're wise, you have life and you have peace and you have favor with God and with people and you have health and you have prosperity. And we say, whoa, wait a minute. What's going on here? First of all, that... I see a lot of wise people that that don't have all that. Second of all, does wisdom really bring all of these things? How can that be? Because true wisdom is really no less than life with God, is it? Think about it for a moment. If you are truly wise according to biblical knowledge, then you're coming to know about God, aren't you? 
You're coming to know who he is and what he requires. And, and you're coming to know about the salvation that he gives. And in the Bible, the wise are those who, who see this and who humbly come to him for true wisdom, which really becomes nothing less than the eternal life of blessed life with God. And so what Paul is saying here really is just bringing us to a a New Testament understanding of the fullness of what we see being unpacked there in the Old Testament, that all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ. And Paul will say in 1 Corinthians that Christ is the wisdom of God. And so what does this mean? I think Doug Moves summarizes it so well. He says that in Christ, one can find all that he needs in order to understand spiritual reality and how to lead a life that's pleasing to God. All that we need to understand spiritual reality and live a life that's pleasing to God. And it makes sense of what Jesus himself said, didn't he? A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, which is really another way of saying that they could live the wise and blessed life. It's all found through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The amazing thing is that as believers... They are always, those riches, those treasures are available to us through him. But when I hear hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I tend to think in a transactional, factual, either money or intelligence driven way. It's kind of what I think. It's either this cave of wonders where Through Jesus, he's shelling out money and resources to us, or I tie in the wisdom and knowledge. And so what happens is Jesus becomes sort of this treasure trove of books and answers to all kinds of problems. And and when I have a struggle with life, then Jesus becomes this dispensary of the answer to that question. (laughs) But that's not what Paul's really saying here, is it? that transactional type thinking misses a very important phrase, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The treasure here is not a treasury. It's not a cave of wonders. It's not a pile of wealth. It's not even a pile of books or answers. The treasure is a person. And the treasure is not just any person, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate. And so when we find ourselves wondering about life, when we find ourselves struggling, Jesus is not just spouting off answers to us. He has come to us to reveal God to us through his word and by his spirit and through his life that comes to us through his word. He doesn't just give us laws or principles to follow, although he does give us those things in his word, but he gives us even more. In the Lord Jesus, he shows us what it looks like to live out wisdom as a person in this world that is broken by sin and death. 
Jesus shows us what it looks like for wisdom incarnate to walk this very earth. And Jesus doesn't just enroll us in a distance learning course and then kind of send us on our way. Hey, I'll download that information to you. Just go figure it out on your own. The beauty of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge being found in him is that he comes to us as a person who walks with us in the struggles of our lives and helps us figure out the wise and understanding way. And he walks in us or with us as one who is in us now by his Spirit. And the Spirit that enabled our Lord Jesus to grow in wisdom and favor with God and man is now indwelling us to the extent that Paul can say, you believers, you have the mind of Christ in which is all wisdom and understanding. And so if we just boil these things down, it's as simple as Paul really says it is, isn't it? That all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge of the blessed life with God are found in knowing Jesus Christ. And the scripture resounds with calls to come again and again to wisdom, doesn't it? As we heard in our scripture reading this morning, wisdom cries for us to seek it with all we have, to give all that we have to find wisdom. And and what we find as we come to the New Testament is all those cries are ultimately a call to come and to seek and to call out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have never done that. Perhaps you're still trying to figure out life on your own, to figure out what can make sense of reality and and how you can put the pieces together in a way that you will be okay or live a prosperous life. The call of Scripture is to know the center of all of it, to come to the treasure that is now plainly made known in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if we come to him in faith, seeking his wisdom and his life, he will not turn you away. Brothers and sisters, those who are looking to Jesus Christ, whatever you are facing today, everything that you need to walk wisely before God is found in coming again and again and again to the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not turn us away, but in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so we see what coming to Jesus as this treasure produces in us then as we consider the rest of verse 2. So so point one was know the mystery of, Second was know the treasure of Christ. And then third, know the protection of Christ. And I just want to give you a disclaimer before I dive into point number three. Is ideally in a sermon, point number three doesn't have three subpoints, and then you're still trying to figure out how to work protection into it. Um, and so I just say that as a disclaimer that there's still a lot, but I've tried to really boil it down. But it's beautiful to see how these things relate to what's going on here as we look back at verse 2. Paul struggles and labors for them to know this mystery, right? To know Christ and to be mature in him. 
And this struggle works towards these three other phrases that we saw back in verse 2. And we'll just consider them and then see how if we have all these things as we're coming to Jesus, that it brings this protection that Paul's going to talk about later on, especially we'll consider more next week. And so here, verse 2 again, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. Paul agonizes, Paul struggles that they would have these three things. The first, encouraged hearts, that their hearts may be encouraged. Heart biblically refers to the entire person, the deepest part of who you are, your intellect, your emotion, and your will. And that word encouraged can be translated as strengthened or comforted. And so what Paul wants is that in their innermost being, believers would be comforted by fully knowing God's mystery, which is Christ. Have the cares of this life, the chaos of the world, the weariness of your body, the ache of your heart, the groaning of your soul left you feeling down. Paul calls us to look to Jesus because knowing Christ can encourage us and comfort us in a way like nothing else truly can. You see, as we look to Christ, we see that through his life of suffering, he knows the weariness of this life's discouragements, doesn't he? As a great high priest, he knows what it is to suffer in these things. And through his resurrection, he has guaranteed that all discouragements will one day end, hasn't he? And through him, the triune God of all comfort has drawn near to us. And the comforter himself, the Holy Spirit, is within us. And so it's coming to Jesus that we can find in our innermost person encouragement and strengthening that we need amidst the cares of a very difficult life in this world. And so Paul suffers so that they could have encouraged hearts as Christ is made known to them. But then he also strives that they would experience, secondly, loving unity. It says being knit together in love. The Lord Jesus not only binds us to himself, but also to one another. And one of the things that's fascinating about this text that I just love is is that it seems as though this, this loving unity is related to the phrase that comes before, that phrase before about having our hearts encouraged. Because that deep comfort and strengthening that comes from God is often brought to us how? through the love of his people, isn't it? That through this being knit together in love, our hearts can be encouraged with the wonder of the God of all comfort who's come to us in Christ. Do you find that you struggle to be connected to other people? I think all of us, to varying degrees, feel like we're crawling back out of times of being disconnected even if it's only because you haven't seen someone's whole face in a while or something like that. And as we're crawling out of this phase of disconnection, what else are we finding ourselves in? 
an increasing context of antagonism, division, angst, social anxieties that we may have or wounds that we have from past hurts that are very significant. But do you hear the wonderful call here? Come to the treasure trove of Jesus' loving unity. Jesus binds us and knits us together in love. How? Because he has unending love for you personally. And he brings you into a cause that's bigger than any of our tribes. And he gives us wisdom to love, even when it's not clear what that means, even when loving doesn't immediately solve everything. But he, as our head, he is our source, and he is our pattern of love, and he is now knitting us together as his body. And as he does, we find a unity, an encouragement, and a strengthening in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul strives for them to experience encouraged hearts, loving unity, and finally, informed assurance. This one's a mouthful, all right? He says, the third phrase there, reaching all the riches of full assurance of understanding. What does it mean when you pile all of those words together? I think that it means this. The more we come to understand, you see that word there, understanding? The more we come to understand who Jesus is, and what he has done, the more that we realize the riches and the fullness of assurance that we actually have in him. The more we understand who he is and what he's done, the more we realize the riches of the full assurance that we have in him. Now, we may struggle to feel assured of our salvation subjectively, right? But what this means is that what meets us in our doubts, what meets us in our struggles of assurance is not condemnation, but what meets us is an invitation. And it's an invitation that says, come and see and know and understand that Christ is rich in assurance for your every doubt. Have things in your past make you think, that maybe there's no way that you could be worthy of God's affection or love? Has your present struggle with sin, maybe this past week, maybe this morning, maybe the sin that you're so scared right now that you are going to succumb to later this evening, has it made you think that God's favor has reached its end? Have your hard circumstances made you question if maybe your faith is not enough? then come and see the riches of the fullness of assurance that Jesus has for you. The shame of your past. Come and see the wounds in his hand and his side that say that you are known and that you are loved and that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is not ashamed to call you his brother and his sister And God himself is not ashamed to be called your God. You struggle with sins. Look to him and see that they are paid in full, that it is finished, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And are the circumstances of life just pulling you under? Look at Calvary and see that he has gone to the bottom for you. And he is now with you in the storms. And his resurrection life guarantees that all storms will one day cease. In all of our doubts, in all of our weakness, in all of our struggles, come to the treasure trove, the riches of the full assurance that God has given us in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying that what he strives for is that we would know all of this is ours in the Lord Jesus. And you see that if you put all that together, it protects us from something, doesn't it? And that's, that's what we'll just close with here, is it protects us from being deluded or led astray by saying that we need anything other than Jesus. Notice how he finishes our section in verses 4 and 5. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you. And just, I say this, all that we've just been talking about, right? In order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So do you see what he's doing here? Knowing Christ is the mystery of God, the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge, it brings us a protection against being deluded by other things that may sound good. It brings a protection in our hearts from thinking, I must need something more to be either okay with God or okay with others in the world. As our hearts are encouraged, as our lives are united together in Christ's love, and as our assurance is growing, we'll be far less tempted to think that we're missing out on something. And we'll consider what those somethings are more next week because that's one of the concerns that Paul has here for the Colossians and for us. And so, in conclusion, the children are right, aren't they? You heard it here, kids. Go tell your parents. Pastor Craig says we're right. The answer is Jesus, isn't it? You know, jokes only work because there's something partially true in them, right? And that's part of the reason we giggle and chuckle at that. The truth really is that Jesus is the all-encompassing answer for every Christian, isn't it? But as I've looked at this and thought about my own heart, as I've looked at this and thought about all of us as we're walking in this together, my prayer is that this would be increasingly true of us. Not in a trite or superficial way where we just slap Jesus onto anything someone says, but in a way where we are all growing together in truly knowing the treasure that Jesus is for us in everything that we face. And one day, the fullness of that treasure will be revealed And though we don't see him now, one day we will see him and experience the fullness of all that he has secured for us and all that he is for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that our hearts quickly stray to other things. We pray that you would 
Help us to truly know our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has been made known in his word as he came in the flesh and now by his spirit. We pray that you would help us to draw near to him. Give us the faith to believe that these things are true of us, that they are true for us, and help us to experience the true treasure of knowing our Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.